particular hurry. My name is Dave Early. Today we have Trill. Some of you know him on Twitter as Trill. Uh, Trill Bro Dude is his handle. It says Harden Better. Uh, I know him as Dave Porter. Porter is a name that, if you're an NBA fan, feels like it often has a junior at the end of it. I'm not sure if he's a junior. I'm going to have to ask him that. He's got a tremendous, tremendous podcast. I was fortunate enough to have been a guest on it, find a topic. Um, and if you really want one of the better Sixers follows on Twitter, you should follow him at Trill Bro Dude. He will keep you abreast on everything from how come no one's talking about John Collins? He's young and good. And who are all the people that the Sixers should be considering getting? What do those players have in common? Do they fill a bench need? Do they need a starter? Do they need Evan Fournier? We get into all that today. Thursday is the trade deadline. Uh, the Sixers are in the news today. Um, it's Sunday with Kyle Lowry. They're a front runner along with the Heat. We recorded this full pod yesterday on Saturday, so we had not yet seen the big win against the Knicks, and we were not yet privy to this uh, scoop about being front runners for Kyle Lowry. So keep that in mind and hope you enjoy the pod. Without further ado, let's bring on Dave. What's going on, Porter? How are you doing? I'm good, dude. I'm feeling pretty good. It's it's my favorite uh, week of the year, the trade deadline. So hopefully we'll, we'll have a good combo about the Sixers and everything they got going on with that. What's going on with you? Yeah, what day What day is it? Is it a Thursday that we're going to be like parked in front of the TV by 3 p.m.? Thursday. Yep, yep. Thursday at 3 p.m. Yeah, I put that on and it's it's pretty exciting. It's also kind of disappointing. I remember a couple of years ago, I was like weirdly scared that they were going to trade their first for who was the dude on the Grizzlies we almost got? Was it in uh, Indiana? Was it Dil- No. Um, He's like the tall point guard, shooting guard. Like being Tyreek like, Evans? Yes, Tyreek Evans. And yeah, I was no, like he's tweeting like, please don't get Tyreek Evans. <laughs> he's not even in the league right now. He's probably somewhere in Europe smoking pot or something. It, it, it wound up getting me blocked by Marco Bellinelli. I think he's like one of the few people that I'm aware of that have blocked me on Twitter. Yeah, he's one of those guys that, that did what Brandon Graham from the Eagles did, which was basically just like, massive blockchains like where he would just like if you said anything like if you use the hashtag sixers you were blocked by marco bellinelli he didn't want any smoke from anyone i i I was trying to figure out what i would have said and what i would have said was why use a first for a rental on tyreek evans when you can look for marco on the buyout market and i guess maybe he wanted no part of that that's exactly what happened though right wasn't that the same exactly what happened i was thrilled about it worked out but he uh <laughs> well obviously it didn't work out perfectly his foot was on the line the confetti on the, the com- <laughs> don't bring me back man oh man those but for were Con- sad for Con redeemed it in portland because he did the exact same play and he got his foot behind the line true true yeah i mean like many things firkin always redeems himself <laughs> even though he's a different person than marco he's basically just the better version all right, so what are you what are you looking forward to as this trade deadline comes up? Are there any guys who've already been moved that have disappointed you? Like, oh, I wanted him. Well, James any- Harden, did you know that he moved? Who? <laughs> 
Um, uh, James Harden better. That's your new handle. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a jinx. I'm trying to jinx the Nets because I, I famously, if anyone that listens to this podcast follows me on Twitter, they'll know that my name was Shake Milton better, which I changed it to. And now I feel bad. The reason I changed it to that was because I was trolling Nets fans, actually. And it was about Karis Levert, who now I feel bad because he's had like health complications and shit. But I was saying at the beginning of the season that I think that Shake Milton has potential to be better than Karis Levert. And so I changed my my name to Shake Milton better. Oh, like, as a joke. from? Right. And it was a total like whatever. Like I like Shake. Like he's definitely one of my favorite young players in the league. But um, yeah, I was mostly messing around. And the past two, three, four weeks, he's really struggled. And literally the second I changed my name on Twitter from Shake Milton better to Harden better, he scored eight straight points. So I was like, you gotta, I just gotta keep it. I gotta go against. <laughs> let, let You brought him up. So let's take a, a really quick break from trade possibilities and talk about Shake. Okay. Have you seen anything like, Someone, someone, I think was on the Liberty Ballers handle during the game. Was like his shot just flat, which was funny because he ended up with like twenty eight points. Yeah. I think he took many threes. I wonder. He took three. He hit one. Okay. Ha- have you noticed anything? Are you worried about him, or is it fine? Is it mere regression he's due for? Where are you? I at feel. With Jake? I I feel like uh, it, it's the shot mechanics are definitely noticeably different. I mean. I think me and you talked about this when you came on my podcast a few weeks ago and he looks like he's pushing a little bit when he shoots. And I do wonder if that is somehow related to the strength and conditioning that he had over the off season where he basically got like, he said 15 pounds of muscle, but that's like impossible. He probably added five to 10 pounds of muscle or whatever it was. And that might have messed with his touch, messed with his mechanics a little bit. I'm not a shot doctor. I don't know. But it, what's really unfortunate about the fact that the shot seems a little bit off is the fact that I feel like he's gotten a lot better at other elements of his game. His on-ball defense has been way better. Um, just his overall confidence has been better. Even when he's struggling, I think that he at worst is as like a slight negative and even in ba- some bad games, except for like the few disastrous games he's had, he's been like a neutral because just having that presence of a ball handler who can like kind of create, he's more of like a secondary creator than like a primary creator. So I, my, my big thing with shake And this is something that I've been talking about leading up to the deadline is like, I think he's been miscast as a six man. Like, I don't think Shake is great in that role because he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have a great first step. He doesn't have now the shot. It's like it's hit or miss. He doesn't have he's not an amazing passer, but he's a good passer. And like, I just see like the guys who really succeed in those roles and they always have these advantages over, you know, defenders and shake to me is more of a classical secondary creator. Like if you look at his numbers with like Joel Embiid or with the starters, they're like astronomically better than they are when he's running second units. So potentially kind of tying back to the trade deadline, which is what we're going to talk about. One of the things I would like to see is like maybe another guy that you can run with Tobias and shake on those second units so that uh, he can show more of his just secondary creation abilities, as opposed to just being the primary creator on the second units. Yeah, I did it kind of a deep dive on shake last week. And I I saw exactly what you just described. Um, 
and at times where he gets that chance. And I think, like you said, Doc does see him as more of a six man type of guy. And he likes to bench his entire starting unit sometimes. Whereas if he might put him in over Seth or Danny, not only would shake see some better shot opportunities, he might play better and the, and the unit might play better too. We've seen that at least limited samples. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically like, if you look at his numbers, he's very efficient when he drives, which is like a fantastic sign for a young player. Like, to be able to create opportunities for yourself driving to the hoop is like the number one sign that you can look for in like a guy who I don't think he's ever going to be like an all-star or anything, but I think just being like a high level contributor, like that's one thing that I look at. And it's always like a good indicator of someone who might be on the verge of taking a leap or might be on the verge of just being like a, a high, like I've on my podcast, I've talked about it a lot. And the one uh, thing I keep coming back to is like, kind of in like that George Hill, Malcolm Brogdon role for the Bucks a few years ago when they were in the playoffs, like basically like someone who isn't like running your offense, but someone who's on, on the court with your starters a decent bit can take pressure off of them when they're getting double teams. They can like shake still. I think, I think I saw something on Liberty balls. Actually, it might've been your piece, but it was like about how he's missing these like essentially like open looks that he was hitting last year. It was like, yep. Yeah. That was a piece her up. Yeah, it was like wide open looks and open looks like he's not hitting them quite at the same clip. His his wide open are just about the same as last year. It's the zero to six feet of room where he was 24 of 52 last year with four to six feet of room uh, and five of 34. So he went from shooting 46% to 14%. And it's not a huge sample, but because he's shooting just over 40% when he's completely wide open and that's consistent. It makes you wonder, is it, I don't know, maybe it's something you mentioned. Maybe players put on, he probably did put on 15 pounds one day. And then like you start to lose that weight over time when you get back into playing hoops all the time. For sure. For sure. The conditioning Um, element of it. Yeah. But so maybe there is a change uh, I, I tried to look to see if I was missing anything. And he did put up a lot of like, there's this funny thing I noticed where Joel will throw him the ball with like three in the shot clock. And you're like, what do you want shake to do there, Joe? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're putting him in a no win situation kind of thing. And yeah, he's a trooper. He'll, he'll chuck it up there and miss, but right. And, and you need guys like that, like who are just willing to take the shots. And I think that that's one thing that he shied away from, even when he gets like, like you said, like he's not hitting those like absolutely wide open looks. And you, you need guys, especially in the Sixers, like that just have the ability to kind of score at every level because, you know, obviously Ben has his deficiencies. Embiid is always going to get double teams in the post and to have, and that's kind of part of the reason why, And this will transition into kind of what we were talking about with the trade deadline again, which is basically like, you don't even necessarily need to start shake, but like to, if you had him with the starters and you had either Seth or Danny coming off the bench, personally, I think I'd prefer Danny. Uh, The numbers just say that the offense and the starters run a lot better with Seth in there as opposed to Danny, although he's come on as of late. But just getting that either starter level guy or six man level guy at the deadline could really do wonders for not only the starters, but for the second unit too. And it might make Shake coming off the bench as 
the seventh man or the eighth man or whatever it is. And then in that reduced role could also continue to get like the most out of him for sure. And also yeah. the last thing I just want to say, his catch and shoot numbers still aren't awful. They're like 36%. I think he's shooting from three on catch and shoot. It's the pull-up numbers where he's like atrocious. He's like 18% or something. from th- So he should just not shoot pull-up threes. And that's another thing that the Sixers just drastically need. They don't have any real pull-up shooters. Except Joel Embiid. Right. No, Joel actually leads the, Joel and Furkan are like the only two that even really take them. Tobias has recently because of the other guys being out, but like they're the only willy ones and they hit them at a decent clip, but not, not good enough. So, all right, that's a good segue. I'm going to read your tweet to those who may not have seen it or want a refresher thinking starters, Ben, Seth, Evan Fournier, Tobias and bead is Fournier a guy that you really have your eye on. And it seems like you, your Twitter personality has warmed up on him recently. Yeah. So basically I was obviously like Harden was the number one guy coming into the season, but since Harden went off the board, like I, I, I shifted to Kyle Lowry, but like maybe I'm talking myself a little bit out of the Kyle Lowry thing because I don't think it's going to happen. But like, I, I just keep looking at like advanced statistics. I keep looking at like guys in not great situations and like, if you've been following the Orlando Magic at all, Evan Fournier has been, you know, the one thing that does scare me about him is the fact that he has been battling injuries this season, as have everyone in the Orlando Magic. But considering what he's been able to do in Orlando, despite the fact that they're missing all of these guys, and like they've basically only had like three healthy starters basically the whole year, and their their rotation is devastated. And he, like, there's a metric that I like to use called uh, estimated plus minus, which is, um, you know, it's similar to BPM, the things that you find on basketball reference, stuff like that. And that statistic is very high on him this year. He is uh, currently ranked 28th out of anyone in the NBA in it. So, which is basically a borderline all-star for someone with his usage rate somewhere in the like the twenties in terms of usage, uh, you know, similar to a Tobias Harris or someone like that. And the reason I like Fournier a lot is because he can hit pull up threes. He's hitting them at 40% this year on three attempts a game. Um, last year he hit like 37%, I believe on around the same amount. And he also, I don't want to keep bringing this back to shake, but he has similar elements of his game to shake. He can run the pick and roll. He can shoot off the catch. He can shoot off He's, he's really good in the mid-range. Uh, he's not great at getting to the rim, but he draws fouls a lot. And I think he shoots like five free throws a game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Pretty his good. free throw – earlier in the season, Marty Teller, um, who is a, a friend of mine from Twitter, and I'm, I'm sure you know Marty, um, he put together like one of those, uh, you know, uh, basically like money ball things where it's like, okay, uh, a guy who, sh- who has a three-point rate of 40% – free throw uh, rate of 50% or whatever it is, assist rate of 20% and a turnover rate below 15%, whatever. And the only two players in the NBA this season were James Harden and Evan Fournier. Um, Small sample. It was like 12 games. But I just think that like, if you want to talk about like a guy who isn't like someone you're going to have to give up all your assets for, and you can still improve the team, improve the starters, improve the bench, and also give 
essentially another three level scorer threat that also has the ability to play make. And like, he's not a total nothing on defense. He's like, a, he's like an average defender. So that's kind of why I've been high on Fournier after I we just looked up for his, 10 minutes. We looked up his defensive EPM recently and it was above zero. So I was like, Oh, okay. Hey, yeah, uh, I mean, he's not a total nothing. And, and a lot of those things, a lot of those advanced metrics I find are are usually reflective of how the guys play team defense as opposed to on-ball individual defense. So it shows you that he can, and like Steve Clifford's a really good coach, so he has a good defensive system. And like, it shows you that he can thrive within a system. And it's kind of similar to Seth Curry. Because like, I don't think anyone would say Seth Curry's a great defender, but like, I have not had any issues with him. I think he's good within the Sixers system and he was good within the Maverick system too. He he actually showed out well. It, I think it was the year before last, or was it somewhere in last year, where his isolation. So I had this thing where I got I went online. I was trying to find the Sixers. Like, remember when the thing was the Sixers never have guards. We needed a guard, and I was yes. like, we need a guard so badly. And I started looking for guards who could hit a catch and shoot three, play a little bit of pick and roll defense and a little bit of ISO defense. And what I kept finding was Houston Rockets. Um, and so it made you made me think, like, Daryl Moore is looking at this type of stuff, too. For sure. And Seth, Seth Curry ranked out pretty high on that. So I ended up, when we got, uh, we were heading into the trade season last summer, and we got Moore, I started thinking, well, maybe he still looks for stuff like that. I came up with this list and looked at guys like DeLon Wright, uh, mm-hmm. Seth Curry, um, I think your boy, George Hill, I don't know. I got to find it, but I, these are the guys that I figured a little bit of defense can hit the cash and shoot through. We don't even need them to hit the pull up three. If Ben can get right. you great looks sometimes that would be nice. And Fournier would be above and beyond because he's good at that and can get fouled. Yeah. And it's amazing that those were the names you brought up because obviously we acquired Seth in the off season and the two point guards that we've been interested in, in terms of, you know, Jason Dumas reporting, who I think is a pretty trustworthy guy seems to be plugged into the Sixers. He has been, yeah. Is George Hill and Delon Wright like those? Like the these stats that you're looking at are definitely the kind of things that Daryl Morey looks for in guys because it's like you basically are looking for now. The one reason why I think there's two reasons I think that Fournier might be not a super realistic target for them, which is the obvious one is he's an expiring contract. I think he's going to get paid. $20 million this off season per year. Maybe right now he makes about 17, five. And if you look at where he's at in terms of like guys that are of his skill set that get paid, like I think that Fournier is like a top 50, top 60 player in the league. And everyone seems to like kind of never mention him when it comes to like those, those kind of guys, but like he's French. Yeah. <laughs> It's the xenophobia. That. It's just that, you know, that anti-French rhetoric. That We never play with Carmelon. We don't like the jazz. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like, if you look at guys that are kind of similar to him, like wings who can defend twos and threes, you know, and also create their own shot and hit threes and whatever, like those guys get paid. And... You don't want to get yourself into another Tobias Harris situation where you're oh, and like no, I mean don't get me wrong, like Tobias has been fantastic this year. This is not a negative on him. He's he's absolutely been playing the best basketball I've ever seen him play, and this is not to take him down a notch. He's but awesome like, last night too. 
fantastic. And he's been great when the when Joel and Ben have been out, which is really what they need. If they're paying him that much money, they need a guy like that. And he's been a great floor raiser for this team. But you don't want to get yourself into a situation where you're overpaying to overpay because you know, moving forward, you have three guys that take up more than the salary cap, essentially moving forward. And you're going to be pretty tight on the margins. And like, I don't really give a shit about that stuff. I'm a fan. I'm not a fuck. I don't have any invested interest in the Sixers owners money. I don't give a shit, but I will say those are things that they do care about. Like they're not going to spend a ton of money into the luxury tasks unless they're winning the finals or getting to the finals. So those are things to consider. But the other reason why I, I thought that he might not be like a super realistic target is the fact that I think that all the things that Maury has talked about is kind of what you just mentioned, which is basically like they want low usage players in terms of like guys that can defend but also like only need to be effective by catch and shoot threes and things that are like, like Danny green kind of guys, like where it's basically like, cause they want Tobias Ben or Embiid with the ball. They don't necessarily want to bring another ball handler into the mix, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, and so you, you look at it through Daryl Morey's point of view. And for me, I would think I might do that for a guy like Kyle Lowry because he can, wreak havoc in the paint um and that would take this team to another dimension i'm not sure that fournier can do that maybe over the next three years he winds up better than lowry doing exactly that i don't know but i i think that he look at it like i want to pay a little bit or i want to pay a lot i don't want to use three picks to get a belitsa a fournier and a pj tucker and now i have no all-in move to get well, luckily, PJ Tucker's on the Bucks. So. <laughs> you didn't want him to begin with, so <laughs> yeah. No, I'm. I don't want. To, I mean, that's. He's 36 years old. Like that's like my whole and thing. Mike is Scott's like, 34, and if he's I, much better. Hold on, I. If you follow me on Twitter. I've been complaining about Mike Scott all season. I don't think that PJ Tucker is even all that much better than Mike Scott. I'm just. Saying I really don't. If he were better than Scott. That's enough to get some minutes on this team. I mean, okay, so here's here is always my thing with P.J. Tucker, and this is why I've always preferred Bielitsa, even though I'm not even sure Bielitsa can play deep into the playoffs in the same way that P.J. Tucker can. P.J. Tucker, and there are a lot of guys like this, he was awesome in his role with the Rockets when they had James Harden and Chris Paul, two of the greatest shot creators of all time. <laughs> like They're just going to generate open looks for their guys, and like Ben and Embiid – can create open looks for guys, but like the only offensive value that PJ Tucker brings to a team is he can hit a corner three. He essentially has no other real value other than the fact that like he can sometimes rebound, which we don't need help with. And then also he can hit that corner three. And it's like, if, if his corner three isn't falling or if they essentially scheme ways around, you know, basically not making the defense collapse on Ben and, you know, not giving guys open looks and stuff like that. I don't think he has a lot of offensive value. And I think his defense at this stage in his career is a little bit overrated. So I'm looking at guys that I want to have like, uh, that are like a little bit more versatile. Like I, I think like Danny green is a good example of someone who like, I think is a good player, but like if his shots not falling, he's a total negative on offense other than the fact that he brings you some spacing, but like really he is kind of in that same mold. So like you have to expect a lot of these guys on the defensive end. And like, we already have the second best defense in the NBA. Like, what do we like? I mean, like, yeah, it's nice to have two way guys, 
But like, I think that PJ Tucker and a lot of guys that have been brought up are like one way guys. Like they're not. And like, if, if we're getting a one way guy, I want an offensive player. I don't want a defensive player. We don't need it. No, you don't need a peak Roberson on this team. Yeah, right, like we, so we've we got one. <laughs> All right, let me ask you. Yes, we do actually have one. And he's playing, better, but... he's playing similar to, to that. Um, so I pulled up one of your tweets here. This is March 20th. That's pretty recent, right? You got Lowry and Lonzo and Fournier all in tier one. Mm-hmm. What, what's your Is that in order of your preference? You prefer Lowry to Lonzo if the price were similar or is that price impacted? Well, it's definitely price impacted. Um, that's why I have Fournier in the same tier as, as Lowry and Lonzo, because I think that you could get, okay, like if you ask me right now, I think Fournier ends up moving for either like where a late first, like 25 to 30 in this year's draft. Or like hours. Like, yeah, or like uh, three, like it's uh, Marty Teller, actually another great instance of, of his, one of his ideas. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, but Nikola Mirotic uh, got traded to the Bucks at For two seconds, right? Four seconds. Four seconds. Wow. Yeah, because the Bucks are good, and they only had like I think they only included one non-Bucks second in there. But basically, the construct was like, we'll give you four seconds and then salary filler, and um, you know we get back Mirotic, who was like you know not great, but like he was like a very good bench player, could hit threes, whatever. I, th- I see Evan Fournier going for something like that at the deadline. There was a report the other day that he, a first-round pick, Jared Weiss from The Athletic said, no team has even offered a first-round pick for him. And I'm like, okay, well, that means that there's not a very competitive market for him, which is why I put him in that first year. If I had to pick between Lowry and Lonzo, and this might be controversial, but I would, I would honestly pick Lonzo. Like, I think that... If you make a trade for Kyle Lowry right now, and like, I love Kyle Lowry, uh, one of my favorite players in the NBA, like he's fantastic. He would be a perfect fit for this team. And like, I totally trust in like Doc and Maury. And like, if they think that we can trade Maxi a first, Danny Green, all that stuff, like that would be what you would need basically to get Kyle Lowry. If, if they think that that's worth it, then, then go for it. But like, my whole thing is like, if you're trading for Kyle Lowry, it's for this year. That's it. Like that, like Kyle Lowry is not going to be this good forever. He's already starting to decline. Like part of it is situational. He doesn't have Serge Ibaka to run pick and rolls with anymore. Uh, You know, Toronto has had a lot of absences due to injury and COVID stuff. Like I don't put all of this on him, but like he has declined. Like his impact stats aren't nearly as good. Uh, he has the last two or three years, his impact stats are closer to a role, a high level role player than a star player. Like he's been very good in his role and you know that you can trust him in the playoffs as a ball handler. And he's become a, actually even a better shooter. Like I think that Kyle Lowry is amazing and I would be very happy if we got him. But if you make that trade, it's for this year. Whereas I feel like with Lonzo, like he's that perfect three and D more wing than anything else that we were talking about. Like he's that low usage guy that can defend, that can hit threes at a high clip. I don't think people, do you think that people realize how good of a shooter Lonzo's become? I I agree with you. And I would be personally more excited for a ball. I would go out of my way to, to pay a little extra. And I know all that admitting that if they suddenly had Lowry in the team for the second half of this year, they would have a better chance at winning a chip. But I, I factor in the future. I factor in moving forward quite a bit. So I would be looking at it like 
you're getting Kyle Lowry and you're likely going to give him a one or two year deal beyond this season. Uh, whereas if you could somehow keep Lonzo in house, and I know that's a, that's a fear. Um, you've talked about it before. Danny Ainge just talked about it. It's not <laughs> Me like Danny Ainge, birds of a feather. It's not like when we were looking at acquiring Tobias Harris and we thought we can just max him and we'll have him this season. A lot of teams have a lot of money and you could acquire a guy like Ball and then lose him. And he just might be part of a family odd enough to go out of their way to play together or something like that. Who knows? Or they could take the qualifying offer. That's something that, that hasn't been brought up, but that's something that I heard. I can't remember who said it the other day, and I wish I could give them credit for it. But when me and you talked about acquiring Lonzo on my podcast, it was like, it was basically like, okay, like you're trading for him and you could see one of those other markets, the Knicks, the Hornets, you could see a team throwing a big offer sheet at him and you don't want to match it because you know, you don't know how good he's going to be. Like he's been really good recently, but like his progress has been like steady. Like he hasn't made any leaps. Like if I had to guess, he's probably going to be one of those high level role players for the rest of his career, as opposed to like a star player. But The whole thing with this is like he can accept a qualifying offer because he's a restricted free agent. And because he was the second pick of the draft, he could make $14 million next year and then become an unrestricted free agent the next year and then sign wherever he wants. So there's that element as well. There's a lot to consider there. That being said, uh, and I agree with your assessment of his game. I think people still have this. They're still anchored to that idea that he can't shoot, but that's really changed a lot. I mean, over the last month, he's averaging about eight threes a game and still hitting 35.5% on them. It's not as good as his season's average. But last he's year, just, he hit it a decent, he's a high volume three point shooter hitting at a decent clip, too. Yeah, he's, he's just fearlessly bombing shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, I think he's hit more than Trey Young has hit threes this season, which yeah. is mind blowing. Yeah. Um, he gets buckets. I feel like, usually in transition. He gets tons of assists. He gets a lot of steals. Um, He's not a really high personal foul trouble guy. He's not a huge turnover problem. Uh, He's just a smart, heady player. And what is he, 23? 23 years old, yeah. I think you could look at it like you're getting the the guy who was the second overall pick for very good reason. He wouldn't go as high today uh, given, you know, Tatum and maybe Fox. But... He, he was derailed a little bit by injuries, and he's fully remade his shot. So one of your biggest concerns there is not really a thing. He is willing to take a pull-up three as long as the ball is in his left hand, not on the right side of the floor. Um, and he doesn't like the mid-range shuttle. He does have these kind of like Rashawn Holmes floaters and stuff like that. Do you see like his shot chart like it's a Maury shot chart like the only yeah. thing is he doesn't draw fouls because he doesn't no, have that no mid-range. <laughs> he doesn't th- th- and that is that's an issue I mean like if you're trading for a guy and you want to you know have him as a core piece moving forward like Tobias already doesn't do that and like if Tobias is also one of your core pieces because either you want to keep him or you can't move him or whatever it is then like you need guys that can get those efficient looks other than Ben and Embiid. And I just look at him and I see essentially like basically what Danny Green does for the team, but better because of the playmaking. And because honestly, I think his on-ball defense is a little bit better too. And 
he takes the t- just like Ben, he takes tough matchups. And it's like, if you want to talk about like a low usage guy that has a high floor and could potentially have like a higher ceiling, like, I don't know if I believe in the handle. He doesn't really have a ton of bursts, but like, I believe he could eventually become like a decent enough ball handler in the half court that like his, his playmaking will really benefit from that. Cause as we said, similar to Ben, like in transition, he's one of the best. I mean, he is one of the best passers in the NBA. Um, his brother might be even better, but like with Ben Tobias, like Lonzo, like your transition offense would be unstoppable. But what it comes down to for this team is the half court. And that's something that Kyle Lowry would bring that Lonzo is not going to bring. So if you think that the Sixers with Kyle Lowry can win the title this year, go for it. Like, I totally trust in that. I think, I mean, I hate to be like, you know, cliche, but Kyle Lowry is like a winning player. Like he makes winning plays and does all the little stuff, but also can, can do all the big stuff too. So I trust in anything that they choose to do, but I just, I don't see this happening. And I don't want Sixers fans to be crushed when it doesn't happen because like Bill Simmons is good friends with Daryl Morey. And like he said on his podcast, he was like, you know, two, two, three weeks ago, he was like, Lowry to the Sixers makes total sense. I think it's going to happen. And, and then all of a sudden he changed his tune on it. And I was like, wait, what happened? And then this past week he said on the podcast, he's like, I just know Daryl, which is like, I'm like, did he talk to Daryl? Or like, is he just guessing? Like he basically said, like, other than the Westbrook move, which Maury had his hand forced on that a little bit when he was in Houston. He A little, it, maybe a lot, right? Uh, uh, it sounds like he was completely forced into it. It's not. It was not his idea. I and- want to give him the benefit of the doubt he, that he was because, I mean, he offered like four picks to Minnesota for Butler, and then he rolled out the red carpet a mile away for Butler. You, yep. you know, and then so to then flip CP for Russ, and you're like, that's a platter that was bigger than what you were willing to offer for the icing on the cake final superstar for a ring. So and I'm no sense. It, it made no sense. And also, another element of that is like, there's a reason why everyone left Houston. Like, yeah, Maury leaves, Mike D'Antoni leaves. Like, if you listen to their quotes post Chris Paul trade, it did not sound like they wanted to trade Chris Paul. It sounded like, you know, like they love Chris Paul. And like that trade was not their idea. It was Harden and ownership. And like, ultimately they did it because of Harden. And and I, I don't even want to compare Kyle Lowry to Russell Westbrook, but like, because they're obviously very different players and like Kyle Lowry's a great locker room guy. Not that Russell Westbrook isn't everyone loves Russell. He just gets a bad rap because of his attitude on the court, but like basically what Simmons was saying was the fact that like Russell, the Russell Westbrook moves reeked of desperation and a Kyle Lowry move right now would reek of desperation, which I don't even necessarily agree with, but he was saying he, he thinks that trading for a, you know, thir- almost 35 year old Kyle Lowry, um, you know, on an expiring contract, uh, giving up one of your starters, a young player and a pick, it's just not more like, like if you look at all of his trades, those aren't the kind of trades that he tends to make. Yeah, I'd rather have uh, Fred Van Vliet anyway. All right, well, what about what about Norm Norm Powell? Oh, speaking of Raptors, um, yeah. How come no one ever talks about him, or so seldom? Um, I think I I like Norm Powell as a player. Like, I think he would be perfect for that guy we were talking about in terms of like another guy very similar to 
like I, he, he's a different player than Evan Fournier, but uh, kind of in that same type of role that would replace Shake with the starters um, or Danny with the starters, I should say. Um, really hot from three this year. Super hot from three. So I, I think no one's really talked about him because th- there have been like conflicting things about him as a player. Like I've watched a decent amount of the Raptors and I just know from following Raptors fans and knowing Raptors fans who are all yelling at me about wanting to acquire Kyle Lowry, who's like their, their God. Um, they basically like, he's just like wildly inconsistent. Like he'll have these stretches where he looks like a legitimate all-star like he has over the past month. And you're like, since he's become a starter, he's averaging over 20, 20 points a game on insane efficiency. He's like, not a bad defender, like all these things, but then he'll have a month where he hits like 20% of his threes and he kind of just completely shits the bed and you're like so he goes from like bench guard who like is like barely a rotation player to like borderline all-star and I think part of the reason why the Raptors are thinking about moving on from him is I believe he has a player option after this season which I would imagine he will decline since there are no good free agents really uh and a ton of cap space so I think he's going to get paid this this offseason so I think that's why the Raptors are looking to move on from him. And that's probably why they're selling high right now. Um, and I don't know, I, I would love him on the Sixers, but like, it, once again, same, same exact situation with Evan Fournier. He might even be, get paid even more because he's a, a high volume scorer. Are there, are there any teams that you're thinking of that haven't really been talked about as a potential fire sale spot? Like the Rockets are seen that way. But is there a team like the Warriors who, who like, they're 500 right now. They could definitely make the eighth seed, but yeah. they might be able to get the number one pick if they kind of went the other way. Nah, I don't see them doing that because of Steph. Spurs. I could see the Spurs doing it, but they don't ever make in-season trades. That's the problem with the Spurs is, like, maybe that, like, Aldridge is gone, but, like, he wasn't even necessarily helping them all that much. So I don't think that losing him really matters. Like, they could trade DeRozan, but, like, find me a DeRozan team out there. Like, I like DeMar DeRozan. Like, I think he's a good player. I think it's kind of got to the point where people shit on him too much. Like, I don't think people realize how much better he is than he was like two or three years ago. Like he's become a fantastic playmaker and he's oh, like, he gets just, tons of assists lately. Um, I mean, he has, he's the, at one, I can't say that this is still, but as of two weeks ago, he was the only player in the NBA with an assist rate above 30%, a turnover rate below 10% and uh 60% true shooting. So like, he's like a hyper, obviously his defense is not good, but like he's a hyper efficient scorer playmaker, but like there just aren't teams out there that are going to be interested in DeMar DeRozan because he's a free agent, like all that stuff. So if there was one team that I, I don't think this is going to happen by the way, but if there's one team and I, I wouldn't even necessarily call it a fire sale, but I've heard it on other podcasts. I think Zach Lowe might've brought it up, but the Indiana Pacers is one team. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about the Pacers. Like they seem like the kind of team that like, they're not really going anywhere. Like they have good players. Like I like a lot of their players. Like I love Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, I, Miles Turner's good when he's not playing against Joel Embiid. Um, 
I, I think that they are kind of at a crossroads. Like I think Zach Lowe kept bringing it up and other guys kept bringing it up. They have like six guys that are making over $10 million next year. And it's do, kind yeah. of, it's like the Orlando magic thing too, where it's like, are you really going to pay into the, like, are, are you going to risk going into the tax for a team that's probably going to be a lower seed in the Eastern conference, which is not a great conference as it is at best. Like, I think that their ceiling is probably a six seed and like, as it's currently constructed, maybe if everyone was healthy, like Warren came back, but he's out for two more months. Like, you know, Turner, Turner and Sabonis don't have a positive net rating when they're both in. So they're sort of like on paper, they might complement each other, yeah. but they haven't tended to. You yeah. think like, okay, Sabonis can post, he can pass, he's fun. Yeah. And then you think, well, Turner's kind of this theoretical three and D center. He's a top three DPOY candidate and he's yeah. career about 35% from three, which is elite for any defensive player of the year candidate big. Like Raymond's yeah. not doing that. Giannis isn't doing that. It's pretty inconsistent. Shooter, Simmons. He, he's not a consistent shooter, but he's, he's, I think he's down around 30% this year, but He's good enough. Getting a guy that good at defense, you'll live with him and his wide open three point rate, sort of the way the yeah. Bucks live with uh, Lopez. Absolutely, no, I totally agree. And like, I, I, I actually think that uh, I probably might be in the minority here. Like, I like Sabonis as a player, but like, he's kind of overrated at this point. Like, really, like two time All Star with, and I think he he might have been a replacement both years, but like. Like I watch them and like, I think he's a good passer. I think he's like an interesting guy, but like, if you're running your offense through him, you're not going to have like an elite offense, like unless he continues to get better. Like I, and I think if they were to trade one of them, it would be Turner because Turner is like the probably, you know, in terms of if you're trading someone, like you're probably not going to trade the guy that just made back-to-back all-star teams. And like, I, I was thinking that too. I mean, if I took this scorched earth mentality with them, I would probably be shopping. I would probably be looking to keep Brogdon and Turner yeah, Brogdon. And, mm-hmm. and, and then Warren too, I think. trade anyone else really. Yeah. I think that, that that's kind of what I've been thinking is like, they have a lot of good bench players. Like, you know, our guy, TJ McConnell, they got, uh, uh, double, double almost. I know. I know. He's been fantastic. I, 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 I was over the TJ McConnell experience by the end. But I, I love to see that he is succeeding with another team. Seems well, like your boy team. Marty Teller made a good case for giving him that balloon payment. The, yeah, but like, yeah, in 2019. The Solomon Hill deal or the Darius yeah. Miller deal. But basically, yeah, giving him that one, to the $10 million, $12 million, which which I was kind of surprised they didn't. But he got a two he got a two-year deal with the Pacers. And, like, so now they have him, you know, Doug McDermott, uh, Jeremy Lamb, who's – an interesting. I've always been kind of intrigued by Jeremy Lamb as like a bench scorer type guy. Um, he can start for you too, but he's he's hitting a lot of threes this year. He's I don't know how he's looked defensively. I haven't watched much of the Pacers recently, but like uh, they have a lot of interesting guys. I think the three that they wouldn't move would be Sabonis, uh, Brogdon, and uh, TJ Warren. Well, one because TJ Warren's hurt, and because two because if he is eighty percent of what he was in the bubble, you're not trading that guy. Also, um, so yeah, you have McDermott, who's basically Jimmy Chitwood from Hoosiers. I feel like he's untouchable too. Ah, uh, yeah, he is. He's kind in of Indiana. Got, in yeah, Indiana. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, him and TJ McConnell can't be traded because they're white. Like, how? <laughs> it's the same reason <laughs> why said, they you they said would it, pick Sabonis over Turner, right? <laughs> 
No, like I think that realistically, uh, like they, I think McDermott of all those guys I mentioned would probably be the most likely to be traded. Um, yeah. because I think like, Oh, well, there's a three, four that can hit threes and he's a decent defender. Like it's the same kind of guy we're talking about. Like a lot of contenders would be interested in a player like him. I wouldn't even mind him on the Sixers actually, but, um, I don't think I put him on my list, but like, if you just want to talk about like one team that might be like that dark horse, like I don't think they're going to blow it up, but maybe trade a few guys and you're not expecting it. Like that would definitely make the most sense. Do you think that um, the Pelicans could look to really shake things up? Like, I guess we've already talked quite a bit about Lonzo, but at 31 and 41, the, when I watch them play, they look like the worst defensive team I've ever seen. They're awful. Um, so if I were them, I might want to address that and be willing to give up some value to do yeah. it. Especially if, you know, I know I'm not going to win it anyway. I just want a better product. I want to feature Zion. I don't want to ask Zion. I don't want to expose him as the defender that he is, which is not very good right now. So I want to get him some help. And Steven Adams is not the answer. What might they do? So the Pelicans were one of the teams that their last offseason made absolutely no sense to me. I was like, First off, you hear that they're trying to trade Lonzo when I'm like, wait, what? Lonzo's good and he can shoot now and he can defend and your two best players are Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. Like, wouldn't you want to surround them with like the Josh Hart Lonzo ball types? Like that seems for two ball dominant guys, wouldn't you want to have low usage guys who can hit threes and play defense? Like doesn't make any sense to me. And then they traded for Steven Adams. They traded George Hill in a first round pick, which I'm like, George Hill could have helped you more than Steven Adams. Like this past off season, I actually was like, to me, like I was like Al Horford made more sense for them than Steven Adams. And you could have gotten something for Al Horford. Like we would have given you a pick. We would have given you the Danny Green deal and taken Josh Hart. Yeah, exactly. Like, like Horford, as much as he struggled with us, like he's still like a somewhat switchable defender. He can hit open threes when he doesn't play for the Sixers. Um, and he's doing that this year. And like, if this is not even like, uh, what do they call it? Like, uh, when you're thinking back and you're like, you know, rewriting history, essentially retrospective analysis. Yeah. Like it's not a retrospective analysis at the time. If you look at my tweets, I was like, Steven Adams makes no sense for this team. Eric Bledsoe was part of the Drew, uh, the Drew holiday trade. So I get having to take his salary, uh, but not trying to flip him immediately, uh, maybe even with a pick, <laughs> like yeah, it, it, none of none of like if if you were to trade one of those two guys, why wouldn't you keep George Hill, the same kind of player we're talking about that would there, fit perfectly around? There's those some guys. of these teams that are me and my friends. We just call them wonky franchises where they don't they don't act in their best interest many of the time, and maybe it's just for business reasons. Maybe it's because of this like sentiment among their fans. Um, yeah. and so you know th- you get groups like. Orlando or maybe the Pelicans and and you just or the Hornets and you just can't predict what they're going to do like you could you know another team where you say well they have to do this all right, right. I'm just I'm looking for any other potentially zany like phone calls that the, the only other the only make. guy that I see on the Pelicans by the way that has any sort of value other than Lonzo is is Josh Hart I think of someone that they would want to move off of Josh Hart who gets like four million rebounds can hit a couple threes He's plays a good really player. Hard. Villanova yeah. turns out role players. Uh, if only we knew that. <laughs> if yeah, only if only we just knew that. 
Uh, we had one of them. All right, let me see if you got. Oh, Will Barton's name came up. You have quick, yes. quick hitter on Will Barton for us. Yeah, I like Will. I mean, I I don't think he's like. I think he would be kind of similar to uh, just probably better in a six man bench type role uh, where he could come off. He can create his own shot. He's a solid defender. Um, he's shooting like he was shooting like forty five percent on catch and shoot threes this year. Um, you can shoot. He, I feel like you can you can bank. Well, not maybe not the Sixers because we tend to ruin guys' jumpers, but right, you can shoot. Yeah, and yeah, goddamn, we do. Uh, but he is exactly in that Norman Powell kind of tier. Nor I think Norman Powell because of the scoring punch is is, a, is better. But there, I swear, they're like fucking like the, the a, angel and the devil. Like they are completely like similar players in different ways. Like where like, I, th- I think of those two as like peas in a pot almost where like, I really think that they could be solid rotation players for the Sixers add an element of playmaking, add an element of scoring and, and you know, solid defense, whatever. But I also kind of look at him and I go, what do you have to give up to get that guy? Because the Denver Nuggets tend to operate. They don't trade their guys unless they have to. And like, this is what Nuggets fans on Twitter tell me all the time, which is basically like, if you look at their history of like trading their guys, like Malik Beasley was coming up on restricted free agency. So, and wanted a bigger role. So they had to move on from him. Like, uh, you know, they lost, they obviously just lost Jeremy Grant, but that was not part of the plan. They tend to not trade players unless they're either at the end of their contract and Will Barton has a player option next year, or they essentially are looking to just like upgrade, you know, and and the one three team trade that I keep thinking of with them would be Aaron Gordon to the nuggets to fill kind of that Jeremy Grant role that he left, which is essentially good defensive wing who can, I, I mean, protect the rim i guess because is that what aaron gordon is at this point i mean he's a good defender like i mean he he, he's very athletic he's he is one of the most confusing players in the league to me is it a role thing is it a situation thing because i feel like he should be better um he's inconsistent with his shot but like a guy that athletic that can play defense like that. Like, I think that like a lot of Nuggets fans have been interested in him and it seems like this might be the first time that he could like actually get moved. Cause as you said before, you never can predict what the, what the magic are going to do. But like my fake trade for him that I had was uh, he went to the Nuggets with some other guys. Um, and then we got Will Barton and we sent, salary filler and a first round pick to the magic. So you're hoping that Will Barton picks up his option next year. He's got a $14 million player option. You're hoping that maybe in, in a role with the Sixers, he can be either that fifth starter or he can be one of like your best bench player essentially. And he can kind of like solidify the rotation. I'm telling you if I'm the nuggets right now, and they, these are probably, this is probably a much easier to predict group. I'm not excited to move Barton because, you know, we just, we're eight of 10. We got three in a row. LeBron's hurt. AD's hurt. For sure. Um, I feel like we can beat the Suns. I think we're a better team than the Suns in a seven game series. I think they they have the best player. I don't know if they're the better team. I, I would like my chances against the Suns 
I would like my chances against the Jazz. I think the Clippers would probably be the toughest challenge for us. And they already beat them. And they already beat them. They beat them last year. You know what? Can I say that I think Jokic is obviously one of the funnest players to watch in the league, but not not just for his play, because of his like subtle expressive expressiveness. Like he he's such a smart and cerebral player, right? That it's so clear when someone has frustrated him. Yes. And Jamal Murray frustrates him, but he he puts up with it and he gives him the ball right back because he's Jamal Murray and he trusts him at this point. For sure. Jamal Murray takes some horrendous shots and you could see Jokic like, um, <laughs> I know I just threw my hands up and put my head down, but you, you can picture Jokic doing it. But Barton is also a guy that I think frustrates Jokic sometimes. So uh, and Michael Porter Jr. takes some very wacky shots. Yeah, Michael Porter Jr. drives Jokic thinking like we could have gotten a much better shot than this man. Um, so I, I wouldn't put it past Denver to just say, "Look, he's the MVP." If he has a personal frustration with a guy, maybe we can get someone that he trusts. Maybe we can get a guy who's a low usage, can guard a point guard because we don't really have anyone on this roster who can guard a point guard that we would trust in a playoff series right now. And the thing, the thing about Will Barton is like he said before. I'm not. I haven't really been following the Nuggets all that much. He, I think he is starting for them right now. But he said like I want to basically be a starter and I want to get paid. Like those are like his priorities at this point in his career. And seeing and, his teammate Jeremy go out and do what he's done might be like you know what? Why can't yeah. I? And you see Beasley, I mean, Beasley got paid more money than he did. And, you know, I think that the coming in, obviously Beasley's a younger player and has a different skill set, but like he might see that and say, Hey, I want to get paid more, which might scare the Sixers off. And he might, they might not want to mess up the chemistry with the Nuggets. Like there are a lot of factors here, but like, to me, for what the Nuggets need, I think Aaron Gordon like they don't have anyone who can defend big wings, really. Like they don't have anyone you can put on. I don't know who Kawhi, LeBron. Oh, I don't know who they're putting on Devin Booker. No, I don't know who they're putting on. <laughs> like Gary Harris. Gary Harris is like a good defender, but he, he's a zero on offense. And then I don't think they're able to trust him. Yeah. So like I just like I look at the Nugget situation and I go, Aaron Gordon makes more sense for what they need, and if they can upgrade, if they see that as an upgrade, which I think I do. Like, I think Aaron Gordon, probably he's younger. I think he's probably a similar level player to Will Barton right now, but you could mold him into a better player. Like, I think that that's a trade that, that potentially both sides would be, would be interested in. Although we would have to probably give up Firkin Moss to go to the magic, which would break my heart. Yeah. It's, it's funny you said that. And suddenly now I'm thinking, well, if Barton was rumored to the Sixers, they would probably be asking for Danny Green, who they might actually trust in that scenario more than will but who yeah knows? and and i think a month or two ago that would have been probably what the trade would have looked like but both guys have played a lot better since then so like danny makes a lot of sense for what we need will makes more sense for what they need so that, that that's an interesting one I'm, I'm not positive that uh anything like that could happen it's it's impossible to predict the nuggets I think it's I think it's really hard to trade Danny Green. Like I think of course they would do it for Lonzo, they would do it for Lowry, they would do it. They don't for have to do it for Lonzo, deals. by the way. No, they wouldn't have to. There's a lot of guys they wouldn't have to. But I do the not think they imagine. would do it for Fournier. I do not think no. they would do it for uh Powell or 
I, I don't think they would do it for Barton at this point. I don't think they'd do think it so for either. Gordon. I think they like him. I think he's like e- elite locker room guy along with Tobias. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that what he brings to the team in terms of like being a vet, hitting open threes, providing that spacing, being like an inconsistent defender, but like a good off ball defender. Like I, I, I don't see them trading Danny Green unless it's an obvious upgrade like Kyle Lowry. All right, final point on the trade deadline. Um, oh, two points. First, the stretch big idea. Do you have anyone in mind for that? Do you just want them to go with Paul Reed? What What are you What are you thinking on this? Are you thinking <laughs> Well, of course, I love B-ball Paul. How could you not? The the man, the myth, the legend, got it out the mud. But like, taught <laughs> us all what that means. <laughs> oh, I had there was a tweet like two weeks ago that was. Uh, um dictionary.com added finna um to I there saw you, i saw you tweet that yes yeah and then b-ball paul retweeted me and i said it was because of b-ball paul because he said i'm finna get it out the mud but it's funny because uh, we all knew what finna meant but we didn't oh, know of course. the mud bit meant <laughs> oh i knew what that meant i i listened to a lot of hip-hop so i'm very very cool but i, I, was, uh, I was behind the curve on the mud i, I probably learned it like three months ago <laughs> so um so yeah so for the stretch big you can't Paul Reed, love him. He's not going to be playing in the playoffs at all this year. Although that is the issue with getting a stretch five, stretch four at this point. Are there any guys out there that you see that you would trust in a playoff series that are stretch four, stretch five types? Because I don't see a lot. Like, I don't like Muscala, maybe. Like, do you trust his defense? And, like, no, I, I no, would. Like, I would trust, well, I would trust Larry Nance, but I don't think they're good. Oh, yeah. He was on my list, but yeah, we're probably not getting him. Yeah, I would trust him, and, and I would see some upside there, so I'd pay extra for what he provides. He's I great, have, by the way. I would have trusted P.J. Tucker to play harder and better if he were on a contender like here, but I think, A, you're right, he was getting up there, and B, there's probably that Fertitta tax. We would have had to pay like this absurd amount to get him. 100%. They, they paid a pretty high amount to get him anyway, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, they got off the DJ Augustine contract, which is like probably, which is so funny to me because like we wanted DJ Augustine, but when I found out that he got like, I think he got like 20 million over three years, I was like, okay, no, never mind. Uh, it's like 32 years old or something. Yeah, that's weird. What about, yeah. um, what about anyone on the Knicks? Do you think the Knicks could say maybe, maybe this playoff push isn't, we're not all in for it? I can't imagine Thibs doing that, but Brock Aller. Sounds like, based on that, your own Weitzman piece might be at the other end of the spectrum in terms of rebuild. And they could go two ways. They could make the eighth seed, seventh seed, maybe even a sixth seed and wind up with this crazy matchup against like the Hornets and win, which would be huge for them. Or they could go try and get the top five pick in the draft, which changed their entire franchise. So So I'm like, I believe that if you are a non-New York, LA, Miami team, uh, go in the opposite direction. Just try to be bad and try to get that top pick. Like if you're not in one of the major markets, like there's really no point, but like as the Nets and the Clippers showed and even the heat, like just stay competitive and keep your narrative up. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I mean, like, look, like some of it is boomerism. Some of it is reality is like, if the Clippers were awful and if the Nets were awful, those guys probably wouldn't have signed there. 
Um, now maybe they really wanted to live in LA or New York and they just don't care and they sign there. But like, there's a reason that the Clippers and the Nets and the, the Knicks, they haven't gotten free agents. They don't have the Lakers legacy. So the Lakers got LeBron because of their legacy and because of the fact that they're located in LA. But like, if you're the Knicks, like there is value in staying competitive. Like, I, I think that like a lot of the process, uh, like, and I, I, I support the idea of the process, but like a lot of the people that supported the process think just, oh, being an uh, eight seed is the worst thing you can be. I'm like, yeah, if you're the Orlando Magic, like, duh, or even the Philadelphia 76ers, we don't get free agents. Like our best free agents ever were old Al Horford and old Elton Brand. Like we Scored, don't get- uh, Bynum, which- no, out. we didn't. We traded for him. We every good oh, right, player yeah. we've ever got, it was in a trade, basically. And JJ Reddick, Jimmy Butler, and he didn't resign. Like my point is that, like, if you're the Knicks, like I totally understand why they wouldn't be sellers at the deadline. Like I look at their team, and I don't really see a lot of guys that I necessarily even want on the Sixers. Like the Austin Rivers thing, like probably not going to happen because of Doc. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Um, like Reggie Bullock, like he's been playing well for them. Like they're probably not going to give him up. Uh, we already did the Alec Burks thing. Like I, I, I don't really see a lot of guys on that team. And if I am the Knicks, like I want to try to make the six, seven, eight seed and like compete as opposed to like, you got to lose what the like 30 of your last 40 games to get Cade Cunningham or Jonathan Mo or not Evan Mobley or Jonathan Kaminga. Like that's just not going to happen. Like, like if they were seven, if they had 15 wins right now and they were outside of the playoffs and they probably didn't even have a shot at the play in, I would be like, yeah, go for it. Like they have what 20, like they're over 500, I think, or they're at 500. I I would, I would say we'll save this for another, another pod. I would push back to a degree. I agree with you on a lot of, what you said about the big market teams just make an ace seed. Although I do think one of the higher upside scenarios is when they do both and they tank and then they, you know, like LA stockpiled like 12 second overall picks in a five-year period, basically. They got the D-Lo, Lakers, they got yeah. D-Lo, they got Russ, they sure. got Ball. And then you can just say, hey, look, we have two max contracts and we'll trade literally everyone on the roster. Come on down. So yeah. had the Knicks done that, I think it's an even bigger disaster when you don't do that because it's like, well, now you just get the eighth pick every year instead. You might as well go one way or the other. Okay, but I have a question for you. If you have good scouts and you have good player development, having one of those top picks is obviously the most surefire way to get a superstar, change your franchise, get an all-star, whatever. Look at the top 10 of this draft. Like They took Obi Toppin at eight, and they took <laughs> they took Emmanuel quickly at 24, 25, and like, He's the better player, like getting a top 10 pick. Okay. Getting a top five pick, which is not as easy as it was a few years ago. You need when to the Lakers... transcend your scouts by getting a top five pick. <laughs> it's it basically like, like I look at like James Wiseman, who was taken with the second pick. And I see like the upside of like a good player, not a great player. And like, or like an amazing player. Like, I think he could be like, uh, maybe like a better version of Miles Turner and make a few all-star teams. But like, I see guys like that go later in the draft every year and get developed by teams like Toronto, teams like New York, whatever. To, like I, I think that it's different than it than it used to be. Like I think you can find those guys later in the draft if you trust your scouts, you trust your development team. And I think for a team in a big market like New York, they don't have to worry about unless they're getting Cade Cunningham. Then who gives a shit? All right. Um, any final thoughts? Any any 
dark uh, guys no one would think of that we might go for? Uh, if you want to bring it back to the Pacers, I don't think this is ever going to happen, but Justin Holiday would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on one of the best contracts in the league from a team perspective. I think he makes $5 million a year. He's a 3 and D wing who is he's a good player. Um, I think obviously Bielitsa is the one guy that keeps getting brought up. Like I, and me and Marty talked about that too on, on the podcast. Like I don't think he can play that deep into the playoffs. I think he's more of a regular season player. Um, and then we would have said no, I mean, about Muscala in 2019 and then we ended up needing him. So who knows? True. True. You're, you could nine re- and I would like to get Muscala back. He's on a minimum contract. He, he takes a ton of threes and he hits them. Like it, it will be nice to have an option for a stretch five. Like, I don't think that you necessarily are like, Oh, this is our guy. But like, for the minutes that Ben needs a stretch five when Dwight and him just aren't working in a playoff scenario and they can't get anything going on offense, it would be nice to have one. But no, can you think of any other guys that, that we well, you, mentioned? We both have mentioned at different times Kyle Anderson, who's shooting a little bit better this year. Yeah, would, like is he someone you would trust in a lineup instead of Joel Embiid? Like, no, I mean, he's – yeah, he's more of a stretch for like I would be unless you're going super small. Like, are you playing the Raptors and OG and Anobis at center? Like that's well when that's, we got Daryl Morey, I kind of thought we were gonna see a lot of small ball experiments and I and, I, I think that it's gone in lineup. the other direction though. It's like yeah. like like it, it basically that became I know that there's a phrase for this, but that it's gone in the other direction, and now there is a benefit to having bigger centers like Dwight and Embiid and Tony Bradley, like, and, and, you know, maybe in a playoff situation, this won't work and they'll get played off the floor or whatever. Embiid won't, but the other guys will. Like but market like, overcorrection or zig. Yeah, market overcorrection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, like, to, to be able to have guys out there, like, can you play against, like, Dwight Howard doesn't bring a ton on offense like Embiid does. Like, that's the one thing that I think people get confused with. Like, Rudy Gobert doesn't get played off the court in the playoffs because of his defense. He gets played off the court in the playoffs because of his offense. He doesn't bring anything to the table that will make a team have to put in a huge center, right? So Anthony Davis does. Jokic does. Embiid does. So going small in the playoffs definitely has its benefits. But like when you have Dwight Howard out there, I do wonder if teams go, we're not going to get a fucking rebound. <laughs> like, like Dwight is a Dwight and Bradley and like, like the Sixers have insane rebounders. And like, if you're putting PJ Tucker out there at the five, obviously they have Giannis. So it's a different situation, but like, if you're putting a PJ Tucker type guy out there at the five and OG Ananobi, whatever, do you trust those guys? Like the fourth biggest guy on the court, basically when you have Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris and and one of the Sixers backup centers, can they get a rebound basically? So that that is kind of what ended up killing the Rockets last year. Yeah, against the Lakers in the playoffs, they couldn't get a rebound. And the the McGee, as you know, we uh, what was it? Daryl recently said like Bradley Howard or Dwight Dwight Bradley. Yeah, Milton Bradley. Combo. Yeah, so that would be Bradley. for them. It would be the McGee Dwight combo. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was looking at the on offs. Yeah. My computer is being slow right now, so I can't bring it up. Is your are your is your connection a tiny bit? For hoops. Yeah, it's a little bit slow. Mine mine is. I don't know if it's my computer or yeah, but the Ben on Joel off combo with either Bradley or Howard is not great. It's a negative net rate. No, it isn't. 
But I think that that's why Doc has been playing Ben and Embiid a lot together because he thinks that in the playoffs they're going to play like 38 minutes a game, 40 minutes a game, and that he that that would be the biggest benefit of getting a, a guy who can run the units either with Ben and Tobias or by themselves, whatever it is. Like, obviously, you're not going to survive a ton of minutes. Like, you can't play all bench lineups in the playoffs. But if you can get one of those guys, even if it's Kyle Lowry or Evan Fournier or whoever, one of these guys, if you can have someone who's out there that can run a backup unit with Dwight and run pick and rolls and, you know, Tony Bradley and Tobias together actually have done pretty well. I think if you – and even Tobias and Dwight have done well when you take Ben off the court. It's like they're like a plus seven. He's a plus 11 – uh net rating with uh Tobias and Tony Bradley so like there are ways to figure out around this but the offense always is going to be not as good it's it's like the offense always takes a hit it's the defense that remains eats either the same or better like that's one of the things that I think has been such like a massive improvement from Doc and his staff is like they've gotten everyone to play defense and like there's a reason why they're probably going to end up with the number one off uh, defense in the NBA by the end of the year with LeBron getting hurt in the La- with the Lakers and AD's already out. Like the, the when the way they survive those minutes without Joel and Ben are because of the defense. Like the defense is unbelievable in terms of like defensive rating when they're off the court. So that might end up being the key, but I don't know if that's going to work in the playoffs. And now the question that nobody wants to think about or answer what's your concern level for injuries to the two superstars? Very concerned about Joel. Um, just because we've been through this before with the, Oh, it's a, it's a, what was it? A bruised knee or it something. Was like it's like almost the same. It was a hyperextended left yeah. with that. They call a bone bruise. Right. And then it was revealed that it was meniscus. This time they're telling us right off the bat, the meniscus is fine. Okay. Knowing that we wouldn't necessarily trust them because they told us that. <laughs> Four years ago. Always very trustworthy, that Sixers medical staff. <laughs> but um, but no, um, and it's probably not their fault. It's probably more on a communication side. But either way, basically, like, I'm concerned with Embiid just because, like, if you make the Lowry trade, if that is the trade that they make, I know it's because they think Embiid is, is going. Like, it's like, how much longer are we going to have with this guy? Is it two years? Is it three years? Lowry comes in, helps them maybe beat the Nets this year, get to the finals, whatever. I am concerned. I will say Embiid has played more than anyone expected. Like no one expected him to be, everyone thought he was Greg Oden 2.0 and he hasn't been, but he has these little injuries that will add up. They're going to push for him to get the MVP because now Shams is reporting that he might come back within that two, like before that two weeks is up, which I think is a massive mistake. If they do it, they've been playing well without him, And like, dude, like take care of yourself. Like I hope they back. don't. I, I, that's, you know, I asked this of, uh, I think it was Pablo Torres. It should we want him to win the MVP or should we want him to just rest every four games? Right. And I think the answer we now have like uh, sometimes people take the other end of that and they say, well, he just had the week off. He had the all-star break. He was out of shape. He right. needs to be in the flow in the rhythm. Right. And Ben just had some time off, played a couple of games and then played like 45 minutes in overtime guarding Giannis. And now he's his surgically repaired knee, which swelled up on him 
weeks or months ago is now, you know, sore. So it's like, come on, man. Shouldn't we just put some limits on all these guys? Totally. And it's like, I I, I think that being careful with your star players is always the smart move. Like I, I, I just like, at the end of the day, like, first off, you should care about the longevity of your health and your career and all that stuff. And what is one individual accolade going to do that, you know, if you end up suffering, um, uh, you know, a major injury because you rush back, like you're not gonna basically give a shit about that MVP if you can't play for a year, or if you're like, if you're, if you're in the prime of your career and you miss a whole year, like another shot at a title. Like, I, I just think that like, I don't think that they care all that much about like their their own well being, which not not like these guys in- have some massive incentives to play. Like they're both and that's eligible. Yeah, I know, and that's that's the thing to me is like I think that part of the contract thing it's like like I wish that it wasn't tied to that stuff, and like un- I understand it from a team perspective, but ultimately like Joel Embiid is more valuable than any money we could pay him. Like mm-hmm. th- he just is, and like. If you're, if you want to do the right thing, you pay him and you, you still offer him those things, even if he doesn't reach all of those things, because he's the reason that you're contending. And he's the reason why your team, like, I don't blame Joe. I, I, I sounded like I blame Joel and Ben. Like, I don't blame them. They're competitors. They want to play. I totally get that. And also like, they want the respect of their peers and you win defensive player of the year MVP. Like that's how you get respect. But at the same time, like, I just think for like, from the team perspective, like they just need to care more about like the healthy health, safety and well-being of their own players, as opposed to like winning them the MVP or whatever it is. We, we have some hindsight benefit now, but had we sat down and said, you know, a month ago or six weeks ago, we could have said, if, if we rest both of them every four games, they will both make one of the three all NBA teams. And then they will both like Joel will then suddenly become supermax eligible because he made one two years ago. And Ben would be on pace to make one next year if he were to make one of the three. So he, they don't need the DPOY, they don't need the MVP. We could get them their supermax eligibility and keep them healthy. And that would be the needle thread move with hindsight to get them there. But then they don't yeah, get absolutely. that, and, that record. Embiid's going to get the Supermax anyway. Like, he's going to be eligible for it because he's Joel Embiid. And, like, he's never not going to make an all-NBA team unless he missed 50 games. Like, Well, if he and- didn't make it this year, he would lose his eligibility, I believe. If Gobert, Anthony Davis, and Jokic, yeah. some other big all made one of those three teams as a five. Well, he'll make it now. I guess, as you said, we have the benefit of hindsight to be like, well, Anthony Davis is out and Joel will yeah, end up playing. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, like, yeah, I don't know. Just like, it, it sucks that that is built into like the CBA where it's like, you have to do this, you have to do that. Like, just play payers what they're, th- th- what you and them can come to an agreement on that you believe that they're worth, like as, as bringing to your franchise. Like, I, I just don't think there should be those limitations on it just because Joel Embiid has had an injury history or whatever. And Ben Simmons too. Like, I can hear um, Spike Eskin, who's gone on topics like this saying, you cannot tell a guy who wants to play that he cannot play. You just yeah. can't do it. Yeah. And so yeah. part of that is being like the Spurs and just getting them to all buy in. 
saying, right. hey, we're going to put you with a variety of maladies tonight. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's the it's the Kawhi load management thing. And it's like, yep. and, and, and Spike is definitely right to an extent. I totally agree. And I understand that. And it's like, but at the same time, like, I think that, uh, like, what this essentially comes down to is like, do you want individual accolades or do you want, do you want a title? And like your, your, your individual accolades are always going to end up be conf conflicting when you have these, this history, especially with Embiid, Ben probably less so because all of his injuries seem kind of random. Like they're not like, there's not like a string of like, like whatever. And Embiid being, obviously Ben's also very large, but like Embiid being his size, like history says that like these guys don't tend to last deep into their thirties. So yeah. So like I just I don't know I and like I'm biased as shit like I'm a Sixers fan like I want to see them win a championship and I want Joel Embiid to be the best player on that championship team because I know he can be and I want everyone that like shit on the process to look like a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I would much prefer the title to any. If I were the most cynical version looking at it, I might say Embiid knew that there was like a 40% chance he'd get that MVP. I mean, his competition, Jokic for sure, LeBron for sure, maybe one of those outside candidates like Harden if he got the one seed, but yeah. probably not because Kyrie nah. and KD would be – And the narrative. like Giannis yeah. and where people would be just be too bored. Yeah. He's a really good chance to win that, but a very slim chance to win a title. So yeah, get out I, there and, and get your MVP and get us the one seed if you can. I could see why he, that would appeal to him. You'll certainly become super max eligible. Yeah. Um, Jokic is going to win, by the way. Now that I think you, I think that that's the Jokic like, I think, bet looks pretty good. I said Jokic at the end of the bubble last year. I was like, Jokic is going to win MVP next year. Like, I don't think that people realize how much of a leap that he took. Like, he was the best player in a series with Kawhi Leonard, who was the best player in the league the year before when LeBron had his little weird year. So, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, like, if it came down to it, like, I, I have my personal bias and I would still take Joel Embiid over Jokic just because I think that the metrics kind of overrate Jokic's defense um, and they underrate Embiid's defense. But, uh, and I, I just like, uh, I'll take the two-way guy, but like Jokic is a very, he's a great player and like he absolutely deserves to win. If, he's been if killing Embiid, it lately yeah. and I, I agree with you. I, I bet on him and LeBron before the season. Smart bets. And now the Jokic one looks tremendous. I'm expecting to hear from the uh, I won't give him a plug, but the book to say, hey, do you wanna do you wanna cash out a <laughs> little bit? Buy out on that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know a lot of people that did that with the Shake Milton six man of the year bet I told them to take, which is mm. not, not aging very well, but it looked good for a minute. Uh, yeah, all right. So anything else? Any quick hitters or we're coming up on the time? <sighs> Uh, no, I'm, I'm good. If you are, um, you can listen to my podcast, find a topic. Um, I'm probably changing the name still, uh, because it's impossible to find my podcast, but, uh, I'll probably get, your, get all your plugs in there. Yeah. So my Twitter handle is at Trill Bro Dude. Um, and you can, you can listen to my podcast on, you know, uh, everywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, whatever, but I, I do have to change my name. Cause I found out that it's in, essentially impossible to find my podcast when you Google it. So, uh, I'll, I'll wait probably two weeks after the, these podcasts I'm doing this week, because, uh, you know, I, I gotta get my plugs in, but <laughs> yeah, if you want to subscribe to that, that would be dope. So I appreciate you having me on, Dave. We'll definitely have to do another one back on my pod sometime soon. 
Yeah, it's always fun to talk to you. Um, just before we go, do you have a prediction on the game against the Knicks tonight? It's our second of a back-to-back. We don't know if we have Ben Simmons, and we're in New York. Um, I have a strong intuition about these things, I feel like, and I was wrong last night. I thought they were <laughs> going to get crushed by the Kings. The Kings have been playing better recently. We, we didn't have Ben, Sether, and Bede. So don't even take my word for whatever, but I, I feel like they're going to win. I feel like if Ben plays, he just won't let us lose against the Knicks. Like that's like his thing now. Like he's never lost against the Knicks and he knows it. <laughs> but if his knee is sore, I kind of hope he doesn't play. No, I'm with you. I, if he, if he is not 100% to take it, take a day off. If we lose, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Tobias Harris has just been, you know, playing the best ball of his career and he'd LeBron. probably be a little bit tired, but maybe he, maybe someone else would step up. LeBron James. Maybe it'll be a cork Moss drops 40 night. Who knows? <laughs> All right, Let's man. Let's get it. Yeah. Really appreciate right, it. Peace, Thanks bro. so much. And uh, have a good, have a good rest of the weekend. You too, bro.